The CDC cuts its isolation guidance in half as Fauci floats the idea of a vaccine mandate for air travel. Plus, the best-selling album of the year, it wasn't Adele. Tuesday Need to Know. Let's go. Good morning, gang. This is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for December 28th. I am Carlo Versano here with Baker Machado. Baker, good morrow to you, my friend. <laughs> yes, good uh, chocolate, National Chocolate Covered Candy Day to you, Carlo Versano, on this 28th day of December. Only a few more days uh, left of this insane year, Carlo. Feels like we maybe will be able to uh, turn a corner here very soon, maybe. <laughs> well, we thought that last year, right? You know, I don't know what yes, to make did. of 2021. Because it was by no accounts a good year, like uh, broadly speaking. But I did have a baby, so it was a That's really true. great it year. And that, and that way, um, and it also just you know, went so fast, which I, I guess is what happens when true. you have a kid. It does not feel like this year uh, was an actual year. It feels like it was about ten minutes. I do think I do think you're right. Uh, it's interesting because I feel like we wanted last year to be over so badly that somehow we thought at midnight last year on New Year's yeah, Eve yeah. that somehow the world would just like flip over and it would just be totally normal. I feel like we're getting those. I, at least I'm speaking for myself here. Uh, I'm getting those same sort of vibes uh, for this year that somehow on Friday night at midnight, I think my life just changes all over again. Yes, it's almost like uh, time is just a social construct that doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> yes. Well, that is a good sort of segue into this first story today and some of the headlines we're following, <laughs> Carlo. Big news out of Washington, as we sort of indicated yesterday, as the airlines were hoping would happen, the CDC is now having the isolation guidelines for asymptomatic COVID patients from 10 days now to just five. The new guidelines are regardless of your vaccination status. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky is saying that the U.S. is about to see a wave of new Omicron cases and that the change is meant to minimize disruptions where people test positive. Now, the agency also softened the quarantine period for people who were exposed down from 14 days now to just five days for unvaccinated or unboosted Americans. People who have received boosters do not need to isolate but should wear masks in public for 10 days and also get tested five days after their exposure. Uh, Carlo, in some sort of sick twist of irony, um, having me sit inside my house quarantining for the last 10 days. Yesterday, as we jokingly <laughs> said, was my breakout day. I was finally able to get out of the house. And then this news came basically saying, oh, I could have left five days earlier. I think you are the, literally the only person in America still following the CDC I'm a rule guidelines. follower. I'm a rule follower <laughs> to, to a fault. And it's really, it's either, it's a good quality or a terrible quality. No, I respect that. Uh, I'm not really a rule follower, so I. But I respect people who are. Um, so good, good on you, Baker. But look, this is here's what the <laughs> CDC is saying here. The CDC is saying, without saying, that we are moving into the endemic phase of this. That's the bottom line. If you read between the lines here, this is going to allow uh, businesses to change their policies, which is going to help with some of the staffing shortages we've seen in airlines and the healthcare industry, in the hospitality industry. Um, so I think that this is, you know, this is a big moment in us sort of 
grappling with the what, what we've all known and what we've been saying on this podcast for months now, which is that this thing is not going away. We got to learn to live with it. You know, I was one, I was thinking about this last night, and I don't. I, I'm going to put it up for for debate here because I don't really know how I feel. But you know, is there an argument that we're actually testing too much with this new strain uh, with Omicron, right? And not, not that individuals are testing too much, but I, I I think that you know it's really important that people should be able to have access to these rapid tests so they can test themselves as much as frequently as they want so they can make their own um, decisions. But what I'm talking about is, are we testing too much in terms of like businesses, right? If you're a restaurant and you're going into like year three of this now, just trying to hang on, you know, by your fingernails for dear life here, should you really be required to test your staff and send them home for five days if they're positive? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of see both sides of it now that, you know, we have this, this extremely infectious, but also evidently very mild. Um, Wait, so your count, your state. counterpoint would basically be that these restaurants should keep their their uh, positive workers still in, in infecting the the restaurant, just keeping them in the restaurant. I, I, I no, guess I'm I, trying to figure I, out what you're trying to say. Yeah, here. I, 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 when you put it that way, it doesn't really seem right. But then again, I mean, restaurant <laughs> workers, I mean, p waiters go to work when they have a cold. Right. And when I mean, they shouldn't, yes. I, I guess. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that we you know, I think that we should start treating this thing like we treat um, other like a, a cold or the flu. I mean, yes, you should stay home if you have the flu, but not everybody does. Not everybody can. Um, and I just think that we should that there's an argument that we should start uh, start treating it that way. Look, I don't think that, you no, know, I don't I don't want people to go out and, and have to worry, I guess, that, you know, everyone that they come in contact with is infectious. But the fact of the matter is you're going to be exposed to this variant if you haven't been already. Right. Well, right. I, I think I, I think you're 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 bringing up some interesting points. And one of them is how do you sort of judge what the pandemic to endemic phase is? And for we've discussed this a lot of this podcast for a lot of epidemiologists. It's not so much the case count number, because right now, by the way, the yeah. cases, the new cases in this country are up substantially up one hundred and five percent just over the last two weeks. We're now averaging. 250,000 new coronavirus cases a day. But I'm putting a big butt on all of this. The death rate is flat for the last two weeks. We have not gone mm -hmm. up in the death rate. It has not gone down. It is basically staying stagnant at 1,200 deaths per day, which again, albeit, is still incredibly high. But that seems to continue to indicate, based off of the research, that this this trend this variant is incredibly trans uh, transmissive or transmissible that people are going to be getting it, but the rate of death and hospitalization, especially if you're vaccinated, continues to be low. So, if anything, to what your earlier sort of I think I think your idea of what you were trying to get at with businesses who are sort of hanging on by a thread, I think it gives them more of a positive outlook, knowing that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Whereas in the early parts of the pandemic, nobody even knew if they were going to be able to stay open anymore. But at least in this case, they know if their worker does test positive, there's only five days that they're basically off the grid instead of 10 days, which yeah. could have been cataclysmic for a lot of these small businesses. Yeah, I think you could even go less than than five, but I'm not the CDC, well, so what do I know? I, well, and and the and the biggest part in all of this, and the CDC mentioned this yesterday, Carlo, is the symptoms. The symptoms are basically the key part in all of this because if you are right, you have to see if you're asymptomatic, you're not, right? Right, if you're asymptomatic and you're not showing any symptoms, 
and especially if you're vaccinated and boosted, I think the CDC is saying, okay, look, just, you know, take it easy for like a few days, but you should be fine. But if you're showing symptoms, they said based off of their research, you're much more likely to tra uh, to to transmit the virus to somebody else if you're showing the symptoms. So I think that is also key in all of this as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, I just wanted to mention this uh, this preprint that was posted um, yesterday showing that Omicron enhances your immunity against Delta. What, what that means is that according to, again, this study, which has not been peer reviewed yet, so we'll have to keep an eye on it. But what it's what it's saying, what it's alluding to is this idea that Omicron is is so infectious that it's going to help push Delta out. And then not only that, but decrease the chances that if you're infected with Omicron, you will later get reinfected with the Delta variant. If that turns out to be true, that's probably the best news since this new Omicron variant oh, was totally. discovered. Because it just shows that this thing is going to be—it's going to overpower uh, this past, you know, these past variants and become the the most, um, you know, the the dominant strain, but also the one with the mildest symptoms. Yeah, and and one of the last notes I'll say on this: this gets back to a theme we have discussed for weeks, which is now we as a public uh, are now moving into the risk management stage of things, and now all of a sudden. Does the mindset of most people change and even businesses, too, that you can be able to get on with your life knowing that if you catch COVID, it's not the end of the day because your chances, again, of death and hospitalization is incredibly mm -hmm. low. And just based off of the initial research, if you have been catching COVID, your symptoms are incredibly mild. Does that mean more people feel confident about entering back into the world next year in the endemic phase of where we're at right here? But another right. sort of interesting question that's now being posed by Dr. Fauci, he is saying a vaccine mandate for air travel should now be seriously considered. That is major U.S. carriers canceled another thousand domestic flights into the week. The White House so far has balked at instituting such a mandate over logistical and legal concerns, and Fauci later clarified that he doesn't expect one to be instituted. Now, inclement weather on the West Coast added to the airline's struggles with staffing shortages. Delays and cancellations are expected to ease today, that according to FlightAware. But you also have to think, now the CDC, because again, they were getting pressured heavily by these airline lobbying groups out there. The fact that they have now shortened that window of isolation for these pilots and these flight attendants from 10 to five days, that is going to help them with so much of their staffing shortages that they've been going through right now in the reason why we've seen so many canceled flights. But I don't know necessarily if you institute a vaccine mandate, we've seen how well this mask mandate has been working on these videos of people hmm. on these airlines, how well that's going. And you feel awful for the poor flight attendants who have to yell at these people to get them to wear their masks. I don't know if a, ma a vaccine mandate is going to solve any of that issue either. If anything, it's going to it's, it's going to be just as much of a, of a mess. Well, I, the, the reason why I disagree with that, I, I don't really understand the resistance to, to domestic travel vaccine mandates. I mean, it's not like there's any amount of freedom in air travel as it is, right? Why not another rule? Throw another rule on there, right? You're already taking your shoes and your belt off. You're already being molested by the gate agents and, you know, the, the TSA guys. <laughs> and like, TSA, who yes. Yeah, I mean, like, and, and I don't really understand the industries, the airline industry's hesitance either because just make the TSA deal with enforcing it. That's already what they have to do. Then you can get rid of the masks in flight, which is this rule that is why, you know, flight attendants have to, you know, do hand-to-hand -hand combat now in addition to all of their other uh, uh, duties, right? But if somebody wants to have a meltdown over a vaccine mandate, they can do it in the security line. No one will even Surely notice. Everybody else is already – 
yeah, everybody else is already having a nervous breakdown while they go through security anyway. Who cares, right? Just make the TSA deal with it. Um, yeah, I, I think this just goes back to what my overarching COVID sort of, uh, you know, mindset is, which is that people who have been vaccinated and boosted deserve to live an easier life than those who aren't. And which is why my opinion on all COVID policy boils down to yes on any vaccine mandates and no to any other rules, including mask mandates. No, and I, listen, and I'm in the same boat with you when it comes to that. But the other thing I'm curious about is now if this strain in particular is not as in, is not as deadly as previous strains, what point within next year do you see cities like New York City, do you see businesses ease off of mandates and start to, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm looking for the right words here, but I'm essentially what I'm trying to say is, is at what point do you start to see the gas sort of people pack off of the gas pedal just a little bit when it comes to right. vaccine mandates and things start to lighten up a little bit. At what point is it the case numbers? Is it the death numbers? What what sort of what's the barometer that we sort of gauge uh, the success on to basically re well, get rid of those mandate policies? One thing, one thing that I think that we have learned, especially again going back to the TSA, is it's very easy to institute new mandates uh, and new rules, and it's much harder to get rid of them. Which is why I suspect yeah, we'll probably true. be wearing masks at the airport uh, for the rest of our lives, right? Just like we still have to take our shoes off at the TSA because one guy tried to blow up one plane 20 years ago. Um, that's a, again why I think that we have we should start to ease off of anything other than um, you know mandates for uh, for vaccinated people. Uh, let's uh, move inward, Carlo, for a moment. Let's talk about the news business. Pretty interesting stuff here. The media had a historic year uh, in 2020 that brought in a record number of eyeballs to newspapers, websites, and television networks. 2021, eh, not so much. According to the year-end Nielsen numbers, ratings at the cable news networks for CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC down 38 34 and 25 percent, respectively. The broadcast evening newscasts fared just a little bit better, but did see their viewership decline by 12 to 14 percent. Traffic, though, slowing at the big national newspapers even worse. The Washington Post's digital readership crashed 44 percent this last year, and the New York Times dropping 34 percent. That, according to Comscore, I guess, Carlo, this is um, sort of the Trump effect. Donald Trump continued to tell yeah. you know, the media all the time. You know, like you're doing well because of me. Joe Biden said, listen, this is going to be boring in Washington. There's not going to be enough for you to cover yep. here in Washington. And clearly you've seen sort of the reaction in the ratings and viewership numbers for the for media organizations as a result of that. Well, I think that's certainly part of it. I mean, first, to, their, to the extent that there's really been a, a success story in the news media this year, it actually is the New York Times. They just passed 8 million uh, subscriptions because they've what they've been doing is expanding into more non-news content like cooking and games, yep. um, stuff yep. like that, which has been really good for them. But these numbers are really startling um, if you're in this business. And I, look, to an extent, it's the Trump hangover, but I think that there's more to it. I think that the quote unquote, you know, mainstream media, which is a term that I hate to use, but I, I use just to sort mean the corporate media, right? It, it, we, they, we have done a very 
I think, an incredible disservice to our audience over the last uh, several years, really over the last two. Um, and I think I, what you're seeing now is essentially a boycott of corporate news. Um, you know, journalists have become very out of touch, I think, with their beats and their audiences. And I think one thing that's that, that's always been important to me about this podcast is that we, you know, we try not to talk down to people. Um, even when I get on my high horse, which I often do, I'm always open to feedback and criticism. When I get something wrong, I always try and correct it. And that always has seemed like a no brainer to me. But I, you don't really see that in a lot of other sort of media organizations, right? Um, you know, how many times have you been told by some sort of like breathless news anchor or some, you know, huge headline in a newspaper that XYZ is the biggest story in the world? Uh, you have to pay attention to it. It's going to change your life. And then like the next day, you never hear about it again. Uh, that's the kind of thing that does a lot of damage to one's respectability and for good reason. And the problem is there you know, people start to, to to tune out the news, right? And But what happens then is, of course, nature abhors a vacuum, right? And a lot of what floods in to take its place is stuff that's either just straight up fake or untrue or severely misguided, um, which, of course, goes back to the important of, importance of, of media literacy and trying to sort of understand the agendas behind the, you know, the, the, the news outlets that you uh, consume. Next year, I think, Carla, will be uh, a telling moment sort of in the, 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 uh, where the media is going, given the fact that we'll have a midterm election. So interest in the 24-hour political news cycle will increase because, mm -hmm. look, the last year, you know, the, the biggest political story out of Washington has been, you know, what's Joe Manchin's support when it comes to legislation. For most people, right. that is a boring snooze fest of a story, except for people like me and you. Next year, when right. you actually have candidates out campaigning, you have potentially President Trump going out there, part of the news cycle all over again. Things potentially could change and eyeballs might go up. But you also have to remember a lot of these networks are going through a major transition as well. I mean, look at MSNBC, for instance, Rachel Maddow likely leaving that network, Brian Williams leaving that network. So they have to fill those those spots as well. Mm -hmm. CNN, what? Uh, how much are, are they going to be putting towards their streaming ambitions of CNN Plus? And then Fox, which is always the 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 the, the, the conversation, how much of their of their viewers are leaving them for more conservative outlets like Newsmax and OAN? The problem I think I have when it comes to, and I have, and I, I, I want to stress, I have no problem with people going to a myriad of different outlets for their information. I have no problem with that because I do that. The problem right. I think we have now is, and this is maybe the distrust people have with the media and what we need to do a better job at, is we now can't agree on what the basic fact is. It's it, We can sort of have different perspectives about that particular fact, but we can't agree on what the, the most basic fact is because everybody sort of has different perspectives of what that fact is. Um, so that, I think, is the troubling sign here is that we can't even really see eye to eye on the main part rather than the perspective here. All right, Carla. Meanwhile, I, this is a really interesting story, and I actually wish more companies did this. DoorDash going to start requiring all of their corporate employees, from their engineers to even their CEO, to now perform a one food delivery or dash every month. That is a way to learn firsthand how the product works. The delivery app instituted the WeDash program before the pandemic, that on a voluntary basis, and they'll bring it back as a mandatory service project beginning in January, reportedly to some internal displeasure. If employees can't do the deliveries, they'll be given other tasks like shadowing customer service. But this is kind of like that show on CBS for the longest period of time, what is it, Undercover Boss, 
where they learn more about <laughs> yeah. the actual process of, of how the sausage is made at their own company. You know, this policy is actually being hotly debated <clears throat> on um, Blind. It's like an anonymous Facebook for tech employees, like a social media platform. Uh, one DoorDash employee uh, with a verified DoorDash email address, so you know it really is them. Uh, they listed $400,000 as their total compensation, and they wrote, quote, I didn't sign up for this. So, the, so people, some of these DoorDash employees making all this money to coding, uh, not happy that they're going to have to deliver people's food for 10 minutes once a month. Uh, Zappos, of course, famously did a version of this, um, making their uh, their white collar workforce do the customer service uh, lines. Right. I think Uber may have done it, too, back in the day. And it, look, it's a good policy. I think it's good for white collar employees to see to see, you know, the real life businesses and labor forces that they're destroying up close. Um, you know, I was talking to. Uh, uh, my bodega guy the other day, uh, and he was complaining. I was like, I, I was like, I come in here every day, and you are always here. Like, are you working seven days a week? And he was telling me that he can't get any workers. He can't get anybody. Really? The entire the entire bodega workforce is being cannibalized by these apps, the DoorDashes, uh, and right. Uber Eats, and what whatnot. Um, and also this new thing in New York City. I don't know if you've been following this, but the the, the new hot new app in New York City are these fifteen minute grocery grocery delivery yes, services. Yeah, so they've also been been stealing some of these uh, people who might otherwise, you know, do things like work at a bodega or drive a cab. Um, it, it's just kind of it's it's kind of sad. I, speaking of cabs, have it you is. noticed that there's no yellow cabs in New York City anymore? I mean, I, I see less and less and less, which is also incredibly heartbreaking. And that's a whole nother story, yeah. especially when it comes to those medallions for a lot of those individuals. Who yeah. Are paying that taxi medallion for the rest of their lives. But I mean, look, there, you're I. Kerry Bradshaw always famously used to say, you're not a New Yorker unless you've lived there for 10 years. I, I'm sort of the mindset of, you're not a New Yorker unless you know your bodega guy on a first name basis. Right. But the, the cab thing, because I noticed this when I was in the city yesterday, because if you've been to New York City, if you've lived here, if you've traveled here, you know, one of the things about New York City is like you look down the street and the street is just covered in yellow taxi cabs, right? That's like our right. thing. That's our trademark. Not so much anymore. You don't see them anymore. So I actually looked nope. this up on the TLC website. There were 10,000 cabs on New York City streets pre-COVID. There's less than 1,000 now. That industry wow. has been completely destroyed. That industry has been decimated by the pandemic, uh, and the city didn't do anything to, to to help those people. And the same thing, I think, is now happening uh, with these these apps and these services like DoorDash and whatnot. Um, you know, these these VC backed startups just kind of like run roughshod over um, you know the city's culture. Anyway, we're going off on a crazy tangent here, so uh, sorry about that, folks. I just thought it was uh, something <laughs> interesting. I, I, I was so surprised by that, Carlo. Meanwhile, we're getting some year end numbers when it comes to album sales. The best-selling album of the year does not belong to Adele. It actually belongs to Morgan Wallen, the country star who was shut out of the music industry, that after a video on TMZ surfaced of him using a racial slur, clearly his fans couldn't care less about this. His album, Dangerous, sold over 3 million copies this year, including streaming, and he broke records galore, Carlo. Very few country albums were able to basically be one of the top albums for the entire year when it came to the Billboard Top 200 chart. Pretty remarkable, right? That's more than double the sales of the Adele album, 30. I know. Uh, which <clears throat> sold 82% fewer copies than her previous record. I think probably just because there aren't that many singles coming off that album, like there were on some of her past records. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo's debut record came in second in terms of album sales. What a year she had, huh? That, that girl, mm -hmm. that woman was a unknown nobody this time last year now she said they got the second best-selling album in the world it's pretty and incredible. tons of grammy and nominations at, too 
Yeah, really remarkable stuff. And then uh, I, I I thought this was interesting, just looking at these album charts. Fleetwood Mac's Rumors sold oh, 850,000 copies. That, that's not bad for a record that came out in 1977, right? It still is the best album, though, like pretty much ever existed. And so I, I'm, yeah. and, and by the way, a lot of those sales of that one, vinyl in particular, because vinyl yeah. basically the, the number two most uh, uh, purchase uh, after streaming. It's the most purchased sort of uh, thing that people listen to music on. It's good. It's good to see the kids getting into uh, little Fleetwood, right? Um, OK, let's do a little more to know before we go, Baker. All right. Four people killed and three injured Carlo, including a police officer in what authorities describe as a killing spree that took place across the Denver metro area. The unidentified suspect killed by police after opening fire at three separate locations. A motive right now still unknown on that story, Carlo. Speaking of shootings, the LAPD releasing body cam video of that police shooting at a department store in Hollywood last week. We mentioned this briefly yesterday. Uh, that shooting accidentally killed a 14-year-old girl who was trying on dresses for her quinceanera. Uh, the incredibly distressing video, I don't know if you saw it, I would recommend not watching it. Uh, it shows officers responding to a man who was uh, beating up and bloodying a woman in that store with what appears to be a bike lock uh, before they opened fire on him. Uh, one of the bullets apparently skipped off the floor into that dressing room where Valentina or Alana Perlata, that was her name, uh, was with her mother trying on those oh. dresses. Really a tragic story in Los Angeles. Beyond. Meanwhile, the city, uh, the Chinese city of Xi'an, Carlo, has put on a strict lockdown once again. That is, they're seeing a new spike in COVID cases. The city has a population of 13 million people and has recorded 150 new cases. China is pretty much the last remaining country to keep uh, trying for a so-called COVID zero approach where they basically shut everything down. I mean, a city of 13 million, you shut it all down is pretty incredible. I'm always amazed by these when you hear about like uh, a city in China that has like double the population of New York City and you've never even heard of it before. Never. It's so yes, same. right. It's it's so amazing. Um, and uh, to Wall Street, where the Santa Claus rally, it looks like it's on. Stocks rose yesterday to kick off the last week of the year, which is traditionally when investors look for the so-called Santa Claus rally to boost markets, especially this year after the volatility the volatility we've seen on Wall Street the past few weeks here. Uh, S and P 500 closing at a new record. It's 69th record close of the year, Baker. Uh, meanwhile, Mark Zuckerberg has purchased another 110 uh, acres of land on the Hawaiian island of Kauai, adding to a real estate portfolio that includes more than 1,300 acres. Now, Zuckerberg is paying $17 million for a former sugar plantation reservoir that failed in 2006, that in an accident that killed seven people. The Facebook founder has faced criticism in the past for amassing his Hawaiian estate from locals who are accusing him of colonizing the island. Zuckerberg wants all of us to go into the metaverse while he's uh, out chilling on his Hawaii, uh, palatial yes. Hawaii. Yeah, right. Uh, and I don't know if anyone else is following the story, but I'm fascinated by it. We talked about it a while ago, that time capsule that conservationists oh, were yes, hoping to update. find buried underneath the Robert E. Lee statue in Richmond, Virginia. It looks like they now have found it. Uh, excavators first discovered a small time capsule uh, while removing the statue's pedestal earlier this month, but it turned out to be kind of a dud. It was just sort of various like mementos from the men who built that memorial. Uh, now they found another waterlogged box that could be this elusive capsule of Confederate mem memorabilia from 1887. This is rumored to contain a rare photograph of Abraham Lincoln in his casket. 
Uh, they're going to try and open that box as soon as today. So we'll keep you posted on what's in there. Hopefully it's not like a, um, you know, Pandora's box of something. But uh, I also don't think we should expect to see too much anything that interesting, given that it's sitting in water that's been there, I guess, for like 150 years, right? Oh, who knows? Maybe there's a copy of Fleetwood Max Rumors in there. You never know. <laughs> that would be remarkable. Okay, team, <laughs> uh, that's what you need to know for December 28th. See you manana. <laughs>